Hi, it's been a long time since we had any chat around how banks in India are faring from a stock market perspective. Well, today we have with us Vishal Goel, who heads the research side at UBS Securities, and he is also an expert in the banking sector. Vishal is here to break down what really are the points which is favoring banks in India, and where one should turn a little cautious. Incidentally. UBS Securities, with Vishal authoring it, has re- recently released a report on how Indian banks are positioned for low risk and falling interest rates. Thank you for joining in, Vishal. I'll start directly on the point about corporate leverage that you're talking about, where you're saying that uh, corporate leverage is possibly at a 23 or best. Um, the exposure of banks, uh, Indian banks to stressed uh, companies is also one of the lowest in so many years. Do you think that to be one of the largest alphas as far as possibly next round of re-rating, if it were to happen in bank stocks, would this factor be a driving point for that in your view, Vishal? You know, sure. Uh, thanks for, for these questions. So one, the way to look at banks across cycles is credit cost is the biggest derating factor. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and it is the uh, biggest value destroyer also. So if you see stocks where credit cost uh, has remained, let's say high for considerable years, like shareholder value was lost significantly during that period. And when you and especially when you compare it with banks who have done you know uh, well uh, on mm. credit cost to credit quality you could see the compounding benefits over the years mm. so that is what i think you know we are you know trying to see and and the whole exercise is to see whether in the next coming years is there a value destroying event you know which possibly can come through that is like generally the way we have approached this mm. in terms of re-rating so what happens is if credit cost remains, let's say, within control, right, mm. or around average, below average, mm. what it allows banks to stay near historical average, that is the bare minimum, right. and with optionality of going above average, as and when loan growth picks up, as and when you know you have uh, other income drivers, etc., mm. coming in. Mm. So it's it gives you a good platform to re-rate. It it in itself or credit cost in itself, uh, hmm. the re-rating has already happened. So I would not say there is right. you know more re-rating because of credit cost. Right. I, I completely agree with you. And uh, whenever we've also looked at in cycles, possibly the current one is a little different because for a lot of us, uh, this is the first time or, uh, or, or maybe this is uh, one of the early times that we're seeing uh, so much of a, a plateauing or fall in credit cost. But they always say that, uh, you know, um, uh, there's so much of calm before another round of madness. Do you see banks possibly through that curve as yet? Fair question. You know, sometimes there is unease because of the calmness also, mm-hmm. uh, which is what I can sense, uh, you know, and, and we also keep debating ourselves, right? Like with investors, uh, within within our teams. Mm. The way we've approached this is we've broken the banking cycle, you know, of last 25 years mm. into these periods. I think, and the, the way you've described it, you know, peace, you know, so I, I call it like war or peace or, you know, stage one, stage two, stage three, yes. as we put out in our reports. <laughs> yes. So these periods, if you look at, there is a cleansing period, mm. which is generally stage three, 
which is where banks would start to recognize stress, create mm. credit cost. And then there is a period after that, stage three, when credit cost will keep falling after you know making a high. Right. And it will fall below average or near average, and, and that's where that is stage two, which is where most of the money is made in right. banks. Stage one is where you make maximum re-rating. Stage two is the place which is what I think we are right now in, where right. credit cost would remain near average. And generally, it can remain near average depending upon the loan growth in the previous years, which basically gets reflected in the leverage. Mm. If the leverage is low, then stage two can be as much as three to five years. It doesn't need to oh. end within, within a year. Huh? So you go back and see 2005, 2004-05, when banking system came off an NPL cycle, and that was you know primarily steel, cement, all those industries gone into NPL. And then the recovery started in 2005-06. And that's where you saw credit costs actually remain below average or low for considerable period. So it's a good, again, backdrop for the next, uh, you know, uh, growth or, or next cycle of growth. Uh, just one thing here, Vishal, uh, if you can uh, sort of help us understand what is the point of reference that you're making when you're talking about averages here and a little bit of improvement that you mentioned about, uh, if you can put it in uh, terms of numbers for us. See, uh, most banks would quote, you know, 100 basis point as the average, right? Now, banks we cover would be, because we don't cover a lot of state-owned banks, would be more like a 70-80 basis point average. Mm. So that is the range. And again, there is a chart in our report as well, which gives you a reference point mm. that it like the credit cost, system credit cost used to be around 70-80 basis point for That's five right. years. Like below five, you know, below that for five years. So so it's not uh, you know unimaginable. If you have certain conditions, right, like the leverage is low, uh, mm. etc. We could see that happening again. The only reason why credit cost is increasing in our forecast is retail, because retail is something which will keep you know slipping in a little bit of credit cost. I will want to spend a minute extra on this aspect, Vishal. Let's go back a little in time post ILFS twenty nineteen. That's when the whole, uh, you know, push towards retail pretty much started in a very secular manner. We were expecting, uh, you know, retail assets to show their color somewhere in 2020-21. But thanks to RBI forbearances, that didn't happen. 22 again belonged to a year of retail. Today, you're talking about an instance of a likely increase in credit costs because of retail. What are the reasons in your mind you believe that what should have been the pain in retail is not really reflecting? And how far are we from the point where it might start becoming a troublesome aspect, if not a bubble-breaking kind of a situation? Sure. So I think we need to do much more work on retail uh, before mm -hmm. you know we can categorically say uh, the way we've said about corporate, right? Like so on corporate, right. we are very comfortable for next couple of years. On sure. retail, uh, the reason we are assuming increasing credit cost is simply growth. It is uh, the, the way it will work is you have growth and every product actually has its own, you know, credit loss, delinquency patterns. It all Absolutely. got interrupted, as you already mentioned, by COVID and forbearance, etc. And we will go back to a normal cycle. So, for example, if a personal loan, you know, has three, four percent delinquency and leads to a certain credit cost, 
that credit cost will come just because personal loan is now become a bigger portion of loan book will actually appear in credit cost as well so i'm just giving using an example here sure so we are not expecting a bubble break or anything shocking to the system kind of uh, issue right now mm mm, mm. but fy24 should be a year of playing it a little careful in your view no in fact in fact we are suggesting to take risk because okay. you have so much of you know benefit of low corporate leverage that okay. the system actually has a lot of uh, margin of safety right now and again retail credit cost will come in a very granular you know programmed manner so for example a particular product let's say will start seeing delinquency so it's very controllable also like then you can start you know slope down on growth unless somebody is done reckless lending which of course has happened in past uh, doesn't seem to be happening this time but you could see you know just maturing or you know seasoning of books that's what i think at least i am expecting right now mm. on retail yeah. Would be able to take more risk, grow, you know, slightly more aggressively. Okay, so the kind of growth wave that we've been seeing since FY twenty two, I think uh, your report is also very uh, uh, positive and optimistic on very uh, strong double digit growth for next next fiscal, the ongoing fiscal rather. I would, if you could elaborate a little more on this, and there is a reason I'm asking you this question. We've had the RBI governor, uh, even the deputy governors of RBI. time and again coming out and saying that uh, you know we would not be very surprised or we would not be very taken aback if banks grow a little slower than normal so somewhere the expectation is that growth might get a little pruned but you are still expecting that number to look very tall and high so i think it's uh, expectation versus expectations so for yes. example so i don't know what I, what what you know expectation street has or rbi already had versus you know it will soften mm. i have a 12% loan growth number mm. for next year which is not higher than previous year right like previous year was it 15%. is not yes. so it is a softening right of credit because there were some one offs in last year therefore it may slow to 12 mm. and okay now the other way to think about is nominal gdp growth and the the divergence from right. nominal gdp growth of of credit growth so do we expect a significantly higher than nominal gdp growth i don't think so okay uh, can it be in the in next coming years possible if capex meaningfully picks up otherwise we basically expect very close to nominal gdp loan growth which is again you look at last 5 years average credit growth i think was single digit so Like mm. a year before this, right? Mm. So, so yeah. Fair point. I will come to another aspect which has sort of been irking me for a while, and I expected that they would start reflecting in numbers. They're getting pushed quarter after quarter. I'm talking about net interest margins here. FY twenty three was the peak. Would we start some amount of cost beginning to reflect on uh, the yields? Uh, possibly FY twenty four. What is your uh, perspective on that, or do you think one more year of runaway uh, profitability of banks? See, net interest margin. There are two parts of net interest margin improvement. One is the repricing benefit coming from EBLR book or repo rate linked book. Yes. The other bit is loan mix shifts of these banks. Right. Right. So there is a lot of loan mix changes which has happened in in few of these banks. 
so part of the margin would stay part of the margin will unwind as we see rates you know unwinding or let's say let rates being cut over the course of the years mm. now deposit rate or deposit cost catch up is also happening but mm. because the pace of loan book repricing was faster it was not appearing as much right the deposit cost catch up also will appear now so on a quarterly basis from quarter 4 to next quarter you would see a considerable decline in margins right however on a yoy basis when you compare fy23 with fy24 you may not see decline in fact you might see in some cases a small 10 bips to 20 bips improvement just mm-hmm. because of a yoy effect it's just that quarter 4 was very high compared to the average of fy23 Mm. So on a full year basis, the metrics will still hold, and therefore you will not see such a big deterioration there. Okay. But quarterly, uh, yeah. Perfect. Now I'm going to break down what you said a little, little more. Um, there are two aspects to uh, NIM uh, increase. One is repricing, and one is product mix. Repricing, personally, I'm not that much uh, worried about because that's a market function. but what a lot of banks have also played in the last one to two years is also uh, the product mix uh, alterations uh, we've had banks which have traditionally gone a little slow on pl unsecured ramping it up again there have been banks which had a reasonably fair share of problem emanate from unsecured mfi loans now that you know a large part of those problems behind them they're once again looking at mfi as a growth engine so on some the sense i sort of get from most of the banks when we talk to managements etc is also that everybody is playing it to the profitability game nobody wants to say that i'm comfortable doing let's say pl at x percentage is that's going to give me a higher yield why not you know we was are we somewhere beginning to manage limbs and that's something i'm a little worried about fair point i think uh, and that worry is getting reflected to some degree in the increasing credit cost which is okay. of course marginal now the way we've thought about this is one what is the starting point like when we look at bank by mm-hmm. bank so where if 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 a bank actually has 3 or 4% unsecured exposure mm. and that 3 or 4% is gradually inching up to maybe 6 7 8 also is that you know can can that be significant for this bank and now within that how was the experience like during covid or you know in in last two years what mm. was the the shock or stress testing experience at the system level i think there is data i'm sure is available from euro etc you could see the delinquencies actually went up hmm. uh, during covid but uh, then the credit losses eventually on this pro- in this portfolio are not much hmm. like uh, which also makes us believe that banks actually the underwriting wise they have done much better in this cycle sure. compared to previous cycles and especially large banks so i am not i think we still need to do lot of work on fintechs and nbfcs how the small ticket lending is going right. mm. but right now my comments are more about the top four five banks mm. 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 fair enough fair enough 
FI24 is going to be a, a very interesting year for banks for another reason because we will see one of the largest banks becoming much larger. How do you view this event from a sector perspective? I'm, I'm not asking for your answer from how that, that bank is going to fare, but as a sector, how do you see the competitive intensity sort of uh, change or the dynamics alter a little because of this particular event? I think we are about a couple of weeks away from it to happen. Sure. No, so I think it's a, it's a big event and it is followed by generally consolidation in the SOE space as well, right? Okay. So in the last five years, you've also seen some consolidation there. So all this, I think, improves general you know, dynamics of industry in my view, especially the pricing, etc. Okay. Because okay. if you have seven lenders instead of 15, I feel, you know, the, the discussions will be slightly better from a pricing point of view. Sure. So that is that is one. Uh, second, I think, like immediately, for example, you may not see a huge competitive intensity. Why? Because the you know the the merged entity will have to shore up liquidity, deposits, liability, etc. Mm. And therefore, uh, the competitive intensity may not go up immediately. But I am sure. I think after a couple of years, it will go up and. Especially mortgages, I think there was never a time when it wasn't uh, intense competition. So, mm. yeah, so it's, it was always there. But uh, clearly, I think at the margin, you would feel, you know, in intensity going up, but after a couple of years. Fair point. Uh, let's wrap it up on this note. Um, as an analyst ranking the sector for several years, what are your two, three uh, takeaways for investors and where would you want them to be a little cautious while playing the banking stocks? We basically focus on long-term value creators. Like that's sure. generally the focus. And if you think about that, we would uh, look at names who are who have high return ratios, generally with a good track record of underwriting. and who has access to capital when it when it's needed because okay. most of the value is destroyed on credit cost or inability to raise capital mm. right generally those are the the big value destroyers the system actually allows banks to generate 16 to 18% roe you know, in in good times and if some you know some banks actually have done across across cycles. that is even without doing anything adventurous Yes. Normal yes. boring banking. Yes. So I think so that is uh yeah, if 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 somebody is looking for long-term investment, that is the way I think we approach. Where would you point out the risk right now in the system? Are there even any risk the way you see it? I think SME generally gets into trouble, right? On the first mm. uh, light of you know economic weakness. Mm. So so typically that sector and uh, is the only one which keeps uh, bringing out Again, some credit costs, typically that's, that is one in, in the immediate one. I think okay. unsecured will have to keep watching that. I don't think immediately something is there, but uh, it may be a couple of years, etc. We need to keep, you know, watching it very closely. Okay. okay. These are, the, I think, one or two segments. Great. And capital will not be a constraint for banks. Those who want to raise money, they will get good access to it despite whatever is happening globally. So I think, thankfully, the 
supply of paper is is reduced right meaningfully mm. Mm. from india so that is that would help okay. i don't think international markets are you know uh, uh, are most conducive right now mm. you know for a bank to raise capital but i think yeah again indian banks have managed a good track so again bank with a strong track record will will easily get money great uh we'll let you go on that optimistic note uh, thank you so much vishal for joining in and giving us a very detailed perspective of how you see the sector thank you Thank you.